True North, come on, let's clap for Jesus. It's good to be in his house. <laughs> Are you doing good? You feeling well today? Glad to be in God's house. Hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're very glad that you're with us today. Those join us online, welcome. And our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Let's show them some love. Clap for them. Today we begin a, a new conversation, a new series that um, encompasses this topic of holy fear. I have to tell you, family, there, are, there haven't, well, let me just say it plainly. I haven't been this moved on a topic since I began leading in church. I think it started um, a few weeks into this facility and through the nature of what happened through COVID and society at large, the Lord kept pressing this topic in my heart. And I have to tell you, every time I open the Bible now, I, I feel as if I'm drawn to this topic of holy fear. But there's something profound in this. And I'm going to do my best to cover. I have a lot more pages than I normally have when I come up on the stage. And, and so if I seem to be looking down more frequently than I normally do, it's because I desperately want to get some of this across to you this morning. The Word of God in the Scriptures, there are four main areas or reasons that fear is mentioned. And there are as follows. There is a fear of man, a fear of man, what man, what, what the fear that you have towards the way society perceives you. There is a fear of harm. There is a fear of the future. And then lastly, there is a fear of God, a fear of God. Now, all of these instances that I just shared with you of fear could be boiled down really into two primary, primary categories. You have a holy fear and you have an unholy fear. And so an unholy fear would be to have a fear of man, to have a fear of harm or fear of your future. Now, unholy fear is a fear that you and I might carry, and we recognize this. We are presented with challenges in our lives, and, and we can carry an unholy fear. Now, I want, as we move further in this, my heart is that the Holy Spirit will allow you to have a reverence and a holy fear before God, and you're letting uh, go of an unholy fear and walking in a healthy fear before the Lord. Some of us, when you hear the word fear, it makes you nervous and anxious. Well, we live in a society that's plagued with worry and stress and depression. If you look through the statistics in our society, it's quite, you can be frightened by how much fear exists in society. You can be overwhelmed. People have become completely debilitated and paralyzed by fear. Millions of people's lives have been hijacked. They kind of find themselves in places where they are unable to leave their homes. They, they don't like driving cars. They're afraid to be around people, to interact in conversation. And um, people can have a, a fear that everything around them is going to begin to fall apart. But I want you to know that if you have a holy fear of God, it'll slowly silence the unholy fear in your life. But the only way that the unholy fear, the fear of lack, the fear of loss, the fear, fear of, of sickness, the only way that you really deal with that, and this is what we do in our humanity, and this is what's so fascinating, and I pray that you pick this up to this morning, is we can, there's one of two ways to deal with fear. It's either you turn to God or you turn within yourself. 
And most of us, we, we usually choose God as a second option, not the primary. And we try to fix things. And so if we have anxiety about this or we stress about that, we, we try to do everything in our own strength to fix the fear, this unholy fear that we walk with. And I really want to dive into scripture and I want you to, I want you to see, I want you to see how God desires us as sons and daughters of his to walk. Do you know, we live in a society that, that becomes very wealthy on, on fear. <laughs> we see it in society. We see it in politics. We see it across the entire spectrum of society. Do you fear getting old? Buy this cosmetic, you know. <laughs> Do you fear no, becoming irrelevant? Take this class. Do you fear losing everything? Buy this insurance policy. Do you fear losing? Do you, do you see how society constantly plays upon fear <laughs> in everything? Now, as I began to open up the word of God, something interesting seemed to take shape as soon as I opened the word of God because um, whenever you hear the word fear, you, you can have an immediate perception of terror and, and distress and, and to be frightened, that is not a fear that I'm talking about. And I want to make sure that there is a distinction at the very beginning of the conversation as we move through this series in the weeks to come. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, we are taught, we're taught to have a fear of God, to have a fear of God, to, to walk in humility and to have a fear of the Lord. But then if you were to turn to 1 John chapter 4, it teaches us that there is no fear in love. That perfect love casts out all fear. And so I don't know if you've ever been like me. You're like, what are you trying to say? You know, is this like a riddle? I'm confused. Like, what one do I do? Do, do I walk in fear? Does perfect love cast out fear? In the Greek um, language, each word actually has, a, has multiple definitions. And it's important for us to understand in 1 Peter, it says that we are to have a fear of God. Well, it's a different fear. It's actually a fear that finds its origin in the Greek word phobos. Phobos. That's where we get our root English word phobia from. The first definition of that is to dread, to have terror and distress. But the second definition of that word means to have a reverence and to have a deep respect. And so when you read in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, that throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, the church enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Listen, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. It doesn't mean that they lived in terror and distress and dread of the Lord. It's the exact opposite. They walked with a high level of reverence and deep respect for the things of God. A deep respect for the things of God. Now, as I began to ponder and more and more about this topic, now, if you talk to any staff members, they'll tell you that I've been obsessed about this topic for the last several months. Every little conversation I have with them somehow ends up talking about the topic of the fear of the Lord. And if we back up for a moment, it's very difficult to, to, to understand the topic of the fear of the Lord if we don't go all the way back to the beginning. And before we even go back to the beginning, where I suppose it's even within the beginning that we talk about the nature of our Father. I had this thought that as soon as I said the word fear in front of you, 
from this platform, some of you would begin to have these very bizarre perspectives of God. And some of us already do. Some of us think that God is out to get you because you've done things wrong and, and because you've made mistakes in the past that, that God's out to punish you for those mistakes. But I want to set a foundation of us to understand the nature of our God, to understand who he really is. Uh, and I believe they can be summed up in three very practical verses. In Romans chapter 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his love towards us. How does he show us his love? That while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? It means while you were walking this way with your back to, God will be on this side of the stage. We'll flip it next service. But while you, while you were putting your back to God, living your own life, he went to, a, to the cross and paid for the penalty of your sin. It's how much he loves you. It's how much he cares for you. And then you, there, one of the greatest pictures of, of the love of God is found in John 3, 16 and John uh, verse 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I love this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. Now, someone is like, really? That's what, he doesn't need to come to condemn us because we are already condemned. Some of us are like, I, I can't serve a God that condemns. You're already walking in condemnation without him. You're all, someone was like, I had a conversation with someone. They said, I could never serve a God that sends people to hell. My friend, you're already walking there. <laughs> this is the rescue plan from heaven that God sends someone to liberate us, to save us, to redeem us. That's the nature of salvation. And so God comes from heaven to earth, not to condemn us, but to save us, but to save us, to rescue us. And, and this is important because some of you are plagued with guilt. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, verse one, therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's gone, why? Because Christ took it upon himself. So we no longer need to be condemned for the things that Christ paid for on the cross. No longer are we condemned for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you unpack this idea of reverence, I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with, with um, three words today, and they all begin with R. Dr. John would be very proud of me for doing this. Um, if you're taking notes, write down the word reverence. Now, we're going to repeat these, so don't yell at me if you don't leave space between them, okay? Reverence. Revelation and remember or remembrance. Reverence, revelation, remembrance. When you hear holy fear, I want you to immediately think of a deep respect and reverence. A deep respect and reverence. In order to walk in the fear of the Lord, you must know the Lord. And I'm being presumptive to speak to everyone today, assuming that everyone knows the Lord. I won't be. But in order for us to understand what it looks like to walk with the fear of the Lord, we must first place him as Lord of our lives. Hebrews 11:6. listen to this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to comes to him, must believe first that he exists, that he exists. Faith is saying, I believe you're there. I believe you're there. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. To understand what reverence really is, 
Paul writes it this way. He says in Philippians 2, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know what Paul's telling us? He's saying, listen, if you're, if you're heaven bound, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you what your walk with God should look like. It should be filled with a fear towards God. Filled with a reverence and a deep, deep respect for God. That's why he instructs us. You know what Paul's saying? If you want to know the type of walk it should be, if you want to know the posture of your walk in your life, the posture should be a reverence. That's the posture. It is the how I walk it out. Does that make sense to you? It is, it is the posture by which we move towards God. I, I want you to look at it this way. If, and I, maybe I'm doing this for myself, I hope it helps you, but I'm a visual person. Um, before I say yes to God, my back is to him. The Bible actually says that my state apart from God is dead in my sin. My spirit is not alive. Then the Bible uses this word called repentance. Repentance. Repentance means to turn from my ways and face God. To turn from my ways and to face God. And then how does one get in right standing with God? Romans 10, 9 teaches us that if we confess with our mouth and believe, there's that word believe, it is an act of faith to believe. What do we believe? That God raised Christ from the grave. And when we confess and we believe, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are therefore new creations in Christ. The old is gone and the new is come. We are not the same person. We are not bound by sin. We are not serving ourselves. We are not led by our earthly desires. We are not led by whatever whim comes into our mind. No, we once were there, but we no longer are now. We are a new creation, and our back is to the desires of the flesh, and we are now facing God. Can somebody say amen? That's the posture now. That is, our, that is our position. And I believe that's why it says in Psalm 111.10, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning. I believe it's the start of your walk towards God. I've turned from, from, my, from my sinful ways. I'm facing God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the start of my walk. It's the reorientation of everything in your life, of everything in your life. Second Timothy 1.7 is a verse that I often say to you at the end of every service, and I don't know if you, I don't say the reference, but I say to you almost every Sunday, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Um, I was a pupil of the NIV version, but a better, more accurate translation is found in the NASB. And it says, for God did not give me a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So what did I receive from God when I become a new creation in Christ? Power, love, and self-discipline. What did I not receive from God? A spirit of timidity. You know what that means? A spirit of cowardice. 
That word is translated to be a coward. So the Bible is teaching you and I that when we are in Christ Jesus, we are no longer a coward. It means that we can confidently face fears that we once had and look at them. But in light of who God is, we're no longer cowardice in the light of the fears that we have. That spirit does not come from God. It does not come from him. And I want to make a distinction from that. A lot of the fears that we walk with, we justify. We say, well, this is just the way it is. But that has not been given to you by God. A reverence, a reverence may be fully understood once you recognize that you have a redeemer. Let's say it this way. To walk in a reverence might be fully understood once you realize that you have a redeemer. I didn't mean that for that to be an R too, but th there's a lot of R words. A reverence and a redeemer. What is a redeemer? What is a redeemer? It's someone who buys back. Buys back. And it usually requires a ransom or a payment to buy it back. That's why when we talk about that he is my redeemer, it means that he's bought me back. What did he pay to buy me back? He sent his one and only son from heaven to earth to bleed upon a cross so that I can be bought back to be his own. The Bible says that I'm now liberated. Liberated from what? Liberated from the bondage of sin and death. That's what I've been liberated from. And so when you recognize that you have a redeemer, you walk in a greater reverence before God. You have a different, you have a different motion to, the, to your life. You have a, a different stride because you realize that you've been liberated from the bondage of sin. That's why the scripture teaches us in the New Testament that Christ gave his life as a ransom for many. The how. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Family, I, I believe that the fear of God at, it, at its foundation is a faith that moves. It's a faith that moves. If the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, it's, it's us turning from our own ways and it's us beginning this journey. Well, the Bible teaches us that faith without works is dead. It's not suggesting that you produce stuff. It's suggesting that you seek after the things of God. I'm not striving to be a perfect person, but I am striving to see God. I'm trying to see him. I'm not overwhelmed by it. I'm just going to be faithful. I'm going to walk to God. I'm going to, to continue to abide in him and trust in him in all of my ways. <laughs> the fear of God or the fear of man, one will move you. And you just need to know which one's moving you in your life. Some of you are compelled not through the fear of God, but rather through the fear of man. You're so worried about what everyone else thinks that you've shaped your convictions, not on the word and the authority of God, but on society and the people around you. You are compelled not by God's love, but you're compelled because of the fear of loss, the fear of sickness. What compels you? Do you run to God? Or are you overwhelmed by an unholy fear? As I was studying this, I realized that every single one of us, our hearts are shaped by either the words from within this book or our hearts are shaped through the words of man. Every one of us. Every single one of us in this room, your heart has been shaped by God's authoritative word 
or by the opinions and thoughts of other people around you. And you might say to me, well, how do you know the difference? I believe with all my heart the only way that you tell a difference is through a test. It's through a test. And it's through a test that you really get to determine and to evaluate, man, where is my heart? Because all of us can say, no, my heart's been shaped by, by almighty God, by his majesty and his splendor and his sovereignty. God's word has shaped me. And I want to be there in that place too. But the real way to tell where your heart is, is through a test. It's through a test. Do you know throughout scripture we see this? That when the enemy tempts you, he does so in a very interesting way. Do you remember when Jesus was led into the wilderness? He was led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. The spirit of the Lord led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. And do you remember the first thing that the enemy tempted Jesus with? He says, if you are the son of God, first thing you need to know the enemy does is he questions your identity in light of who God is. He questions that. He says, turn these rocks into bread. Have you ever fasted before? Anyone? Somebody raise their hand in this church. Lord, help me. Any piece of bread when you're fasting looks like a Krispy Kreme donut. Anything. I'm not kidding. You see a piece of bread, you're like, I don't know why. It's like all of a sudden you never care about the end of the loaf, but now you see that end of the loaf, you're like, save that. Don't get rid of that. I will eat that, you know? I don't know why. But so he tempts him how? In his flesh. He tempts him in his flesh. He says, if you are who you say you are, satisfy the desires of the flesh. I need, you to, I need you to hear this. This is what he does. This is how the enemy tempts you. And what are we ultimately seeing here? We're ultimately seeing is what words have shaped your heart? And it's revealed through a test. And so then Jesus responds back to the enemy almost, I, I can just see this. And it's just maybe a smile thinking like, you think I'm gonna fall for that? Man does not live by food and bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Do you know what he did when the enemy tempted him? He reminded the enemy, you will not have me lose sight of who my Father is. That is exactly how the enemy fills you with fear. How he causes you to live feeling less than, feeling defeated, feeling worried, feeling anxious. He just needs you to forget who your God is. That's all he wants to do. He wants to cloud situation. He wants situations to cloud you from the ability to see God. It's what he wants you to do. And sometimes society will, this is how society does it sometimes to get you to get your eyes off God. Busy, 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 busy. I gotta do this. I have to do that. I gotta go here. I gotta drop this. Just to get your eyes off the goodness of God. That's all the, that's all the enemy wants. Get your eyes off the things of God. And when you do that, you will satisfy the desires of your flesh. Jesus sets out a perfect plan of how to do it. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Why? Do you remember what the serpent started to say to them? They forgot in that moment when they were tempted of the goodness of God. And as a byproduct of that, we struggle to see him clearly. And what keeps us from forgetting. I suppose this is where that second R, this word revelation comes into play. Revelation is revealing what was previously hidden. And the word of God is a book of revelation. It reveals to us what was previously hidden about the nature and the sovereignty and the power and the majesty of our God. It reveals it to us. It enables us to walk 
in a fear of God. If a reverence is, is the fear of the Lord, is the posture of how I walk, then revelation is seeing God more clearly. It keeps me moving towards God. <laughs> Have you ever gathered with family or friends or maybe in your prayer time or maybe through worship and all of a sudden you just have this revelation of who God is? It's like this revelation, this removing of the veil and you have like this moment, like this is who God is. Maybe you're, you're sick. Maybe you have a, a issue in your finances, in your family, in your marriage, maybe in your mind. And then you just have this moment of this revelation of who God is. It produces this, this desire in you to continually seek him. That's why Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek what? First. Priority matters. Priority matters. When I tell you that the fear of God or the fear of man move you, they do. And you'll be able to tell which one has your heart because you'll respond to one or the other first. Order matters. It matters. It's the whole nature of God that he is first. Why do we gather on Sunday? It's the first of the week. Why do we give our tithe? It's the first of what we receive. God gets our first. Why? Because he deserves it. He deserves it. John 14, 26. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything that I had said to you. Jesus continues in verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You could continue to read scripture after scripture. And you find that the revelation of God is always leading you or reminding you. As Pastor Luis articulated, I don't know if that's the only thing he did to that car in front of him was the beep beep, okay? I'm going to have to look into that. But um, it's like why it says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds, minds are steadfast on him because they trust in you. <laughs> Paul writes in this, and it's a little bit of scripture, but you don't mind reading scripture, right? This is gonna help you this morning. Listen, Paul writes, he goes, those who live according to the flesh, listen to this, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Their minds are fixed on it. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. <laughs> the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. A mind that is governed by the flesh, every time they're presented with the authority of God, they don't have a reverence to it. Family, I want you to get this. In, Someone came up to me about a month ago and they said, hey, what were the hardest things during the course of these two years with all that's going on? And I had to honestly reply to them and I said, you know, actually it was five years ago with something completely unrelated when we were at a different location that was probably one of the hardest things that I dealt with. It was more of a personal thing. And I said, the truth is that through the seasons we've just gone through as a nation, as a spiritual family, 
as individual families? Do you know, if you just walk in a reverence of God, society's telling you to do all of these things, to fear this, to worry about that. Society's trying to tell those of us who are in Christ how to love one another. Their definition of love is not what ours is. And society is telling us to believe this and to believe that. My friends, you will either walk with a reverence and a deep, profound respect for the authority of God, or you'll live with a fear of man, an unholy fear. And that unholy fear will produce something in you. And then you'll come to God and be like, God, I just, I want this anxiety and the stress to go. And the only way that you push that out is to seek first the kingdom of God. It's to run to God. It's to run to God. When you have a reverence and a holy fear for the Lord, it seems to overwhelm everything else and everything else gets pushed out. And, you, you, and I want you to know it's not when you focus on unholy fear that it goes away. I got to fix these things. No, you don't. You need to run after the things of God. <laughs> if we abide in Christ. John 15. Meaning that he says, I am the vine and we are the branches. If we just abide in him, stay connected in him, he will stay connected to us. So what are we expected to do? Are we expected to produce fruit? No. I want you to hear this. You are not expected to produce fruit. You are expected to abide, stay connected to God. And the byproduct of your connection to God will yield fruit. Because you cannot strive to bring about peace. You can't strive to bring about self-control and thanksgiving and all of these things. That's why when Paul writes, count it all joy through every trial and tribulation. And if you're thinking through the flesh, you're like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> He's not thinking that way. You're seeing the fruit of someone who is connected to the divine creator of the universe. He's walking in stride with him. And because he's in relationship with him, there is a fruit that's being produced. If you do not grow weary at the proper time, you will reap a harvest and you will see the fruit of the spirit as it described in Galatians 5.22 be evident in your life, but not through striving, through abiding. The final R is remembrance. Remembrance. I think more than anything else, the devil desires us to forget about the goodness of God. He just wants you to forget, even for a moment, just for a moment. That's why Paul writes, take every thought captive. The moment the enemy tempts you to forget the nature of God, take that captive and remind him who your God is. Remind him that he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider, that he is my healer, that he is my Lord, he is my savior, he is my stronghold, my tower, my fortress. It is him who I serve. There is a story that I think portrays this well. We're gonna close with this in John chapter five, verse one through 16. Jesus continues his ministry and he finds himself um, in Jerusalem during a Jewish festival. And it says, now, in, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five colored, covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who has been there as an invalid for 38 years, 38 years. 
38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That should tell you a lot about the nature of our God. He doesn't force you to follow him. Doesn't force you to abide in him. But he asked you to. And so he asked this man, do you want to get well? Listen to what he says. He says, sir, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The context of his response, to understand the content, the context will help you understand his response. In that time, those who were ill, as they sat around this, there was a belief that angels would come down and they would stir up the water. And right after the angels would stir up the water, the belief was that whoever would go into the pool first would be healed. 38 years. He just kept saying to himself, if I try to get in there first. This picture is eerie if you think about it. Here's this man, broken and lame, standing before the one who can heal him. And he's telling him, if I only got into the water, I could be made well. If you would just help me heal myself, I'd be well. This is what we do with God. But yet the healer is standing right before him, but he's trying to tell the healer, if you just fix me or help me, I can fix myself. No, you need to recognize the one who's standing in front of you. Jesus said to him, this is what Jesus says. He says, get up, get up pick up your mat and walk. I say that to some of you today. There's nothing fancy. There's no show. There's no performance. When God speaks, things change. When God speaks, things change. Marriages are restored. Sickness is gone. When God speaks, things change. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Every single time I think of that passage of scripture, I'm reminded of God's desire for us to remember. Every time I read that, and maybe it's just peculiar the way that I think of it, but I think of a man who was lame for 38 years, laying on the same mat for 38 years. I mean, my wife runs a vacuum 14 times a day, so I can only imagine like that mat, 38 years, and Jesus instructs him, pick it up and carry it. Take it with you. I think like, why? I'd be like, the first thing I would leave would be that mat. I would throw that as far as I could, but he says, carry it with you. Carry it with you. We have this ability to never want to remember where we were but it's in being reminded where we were (laughs) that fixes our eyes then on the goodness and the faithfulness of God I can only imagine every place this man would walk 
Maybe that mat had a bit of a stench to it, but every time he smelled it, every time he saw it, every time he picked it up, every time he carried it, he was reminded about the goodness and the faithfulness of God every single time. And in light of every challenge, in light of every obstacle, that's why the Bible instructs us to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith because the Bible knows that the enemy is going to be standing right next to Jesus saying, no, look at me. You can't fix it. You can't redeem it. You can't save it. And our response should be, you're right. I can, but my father can. And that should be the response in all challenges, every obstacle of our life. I can't, but he can. That's what it should be. <laughs> Proverbs 8:13 says to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Scripture, he says that I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. I'm telling you, family, that when you can remember the goodness of God, it'll do something interesting in your life. I found that every time I was reminded of God's faithfulness, it led me to an action. It led me to repentance. Every time. When I would do something stupid at home, in my marriage, around my kids, at the office, I'd say, God, man, that was so stupid, you know. Why'd I do that? Forgive me, God. And I would repent. And the Bible says that we serve a God who's faithful to forgive those who call upon his name. When you remember the faithfulness of God, you'll repent and you'll reestablish that connection with God because you can't bear to walk without it being right. I want it to be right. I want it to be right. What does it mean? It means to repent so that I can walk with a greater fear of the Lord. You bow bow your heads and close your eyes. Repentance is so important to remember in your walk with God, but ultimately it's where you begin your journey with the Lord. Repentance. Repentance is turning from your ways. It's saying that I no longer can continue to live a life that is separated from God. And John 3.16 teaches us that we are saved because God sent his one and only son from heaven to earth. <laughs> he comes to redeem us, to rescue us from our brokenness. And maybe you're here today and you're questioning, like, what does it mean to really be saved? It means to reestablish the communion or the relationship with God. And you say, well, what separated that, that, com- that communication? What separated my relationship with God? Sin. Sin. Sin separates us from God. And so how do we reestablish that? The Bible says that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Not just our Savior, but our Lord. Our Lord. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we say, you are now the Lord of my life. A Lord means you you have control over everything, God. Every aspect of my life, I surrender to you. The Bible teaches us in in Ephesians 2.8 that it is by grace through faith that one is saved. Faith. Faith is belief. Belief that he's there. And I will confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says, when you do that, my friend, you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And so if you're here today or joining us online, you're ready to begin this journey with Jesus. Um, I want to lead you in a prayer. 
It's a simple prayer, but it's a significant one. The Bible says that on the other side of this prayer, you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. So come on, True North family, let's lead those who are here today, those who are joining us online in this prayer of salvation. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name.